Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So initially I was asked to speak on our time in Tanzania. And this is a picture. The middle one is actually where we stayed. That is the retreat center um, right at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro that we've got to spend much of our time. As I thought about the things that I wanted to share, there's so much. And how do you squeeze 20 minutes of this experience right now? And so last time I went for like an hour. I didn't go that long, but it felt like it a little bit maybe. But I just want you to get a taste. But we enjoyed it. Yeah, th- thank you. I just want you to get a little taste. I want to make an invitation to you, allow you to be a part of what we have been given the opportunity to be a part of. Even if you never leave Midland, there are so many places around the world, including our time in Tanzania, that we have the opportunity to impact the kingdom. And I want to give you the, a little picture of what we got to experience. Some of you may go, well, I don't even really know where Tanzania is, and that's okay. It's uh, on the east coast of Africa. It's bordered um, by several countries. It's in the Great Lake area of of Africa. It's part of the East African Union. Um, There are about 60 million people who live in Tanzania. So it actually is the second largest population below the equator. So it's got a lot of people. It's not a huge place, um, but there's some interesting things about it. There are... Swahili and English are the official languages, but there's over a hundred languages spoken in Tanzania. Think about that. Not a huge area, a hundred different dialects and languages. And Swahili and English are the kind of the primary, but everybody that I've met in Tanzania speaks at least three or four languages. So the first time I got asked to go to Tanzania was about 16 years ago. And my initial response was, no, I'm not going. I, I didn't really have any desire to go. I, I have a friend who was pioneering young life in Africa and was going over to hire indigenous staff and people to work. And he said, I'd love for you to come teach camping. We'd worked together at camping with young life staff. And I was like, I, I just don't want to go. And he said, very persistently kept asking me to come. He said, I want you to come, and, and we would move to an area with college students. He goes, and I'd love for you to bring some college students to help work and be the work crew and summer staff, to be around our African staff. And, and, and really, I think that it'll impact everything. I think it'll impact what you do back home. We were struggling. We had about nine leaders where we were, nine volunteer leaders and about nine high schools that we were trying to get to. And so I got the nine leaders and said, we're going to Tanzania. It'll be great. We get there and we work incredibly hard, um, but it was what we brought back that had such a huge impact. Initially, as I was asked and I was going, I realized um, that I am the expert on camping, or I was told that. And so as we went into this place to set up the first Young Life Camp, one, the facilities are not like Young Life properties here, but the other piece of that was I thought that I had all of the answers. I was taking so much of what they needed, and we filled our duffel bags with things and games and T-shirts and all this stuff, and I got there and felt like I was the one that was being taught and much was being poured onto me, much more than it was me giving to them. I learned so much in such a short time. 
I wasn't sure of what it would be like. I didn't know anything really about Africa at all except what I'd seen on infomercials and ways to sponsor a kid or maybe something that someone had said. But I, I was not prepared for what I would see. I was not prepared for what I would experience. I'd never been around people like that who showed me Jesus the way that they did. I mean, from the moment you step off the plane, we landed initially in, in Addis Ababa in, in Ethiopia, and it is very different. An old kind of wrecked plane, not running plane, sitting next to the runway is not real, doesn't make you feel real good. Um, and there's armed guards on the outside. I mean, it was just fascinating. I'd never seen anything like it. But one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was when we left the airports, when we got to Tanzania, were the sights and the sounds. It's so different and so full of life. I was blown away um, just listening to my African friends as they started to greet and love on you and begin to bring, bring you in. I'd never been greeted so warmly, taken in so quickly. The sounds, the smells, the things that you see, the, the animated laughter and, the, and, and talking, speaking to each other was wonderful and amazing. And quickly, there were people in a van riding that were singing worship songs. And I felt like this feels more like home in many ways than anywhere I've ever been. I was blown away. I was blown away by the generosity that was shown to me and my team. It's pretty amazing to walk into a, a slum and realize that someone is giving you sacrificially all that they have. For our team, as we prayed, they treated us like kings. We were fed a week's worth of wages worth of food with tea and bread and butter. But it was wonderful. It was wonderful because it was the sacrifice of giving. It was this gift of we are so glad you are here. And they sang over us and they worshiped and they prayed over us. And I learned so much then. It was really interesting to be there because I feel like the capital that many of my African friends have is in relationships. It's very hard to earn wealth in Africa, but there is a wealth of relationship. What's important is the person right in front of you, not the checklist of things that have to get done. Although they're very productive and ingenious and wonderful, hard workers, they're not afraid to take time to get to know you. My first experience with that was with a guy named Simon from Uganda that was part of the camp training that I was doing. Simon came up in the morning one morning and said, how are you doing today, Gibbs? They call me Gibbs or Ribs. They can't say Rip. It's kind of a, so I just go with it. So how are you, how are you, how are you feeling today? How are you, how are you, Gibbs? And I said, oh, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. And then he grabbed my hand and he said, no, I want to know how you're doing. And so for the next 30 minutes as we walked around the property and he's holding my hand, which is a little awkward, not used to that, he asked me about my life and my family. He prayed for me. He got to know me. I thought that that was maybe an isolated incident, but it really became the way of relationship there. And it was beautiful and warm. My African friends are focused on eternal things, much more than earthly things. They're not building treasures here on earth but they're certainly built them in relationships and the things around them, what they focus on. 
Another thing that happened on that trip was that we worked and we watched joy and we watched kids that were impacted by the gospel like I'd never seen. We watched Muslim kids stand up and disrobe as they gave their life to Christ. We watched high school kids at a say-so turn their lives over to Jesus, and we watched leaders that surrounded them and loved them. And our college leaders who came with us got it. Within one year of starting off and taking this group of folks to Africa, to Tanzania, we went from nine leaders to 100 leaders because they saw ministry being lived out. They started to see with the eyes of Christ. They started to see with the eyes of the people around them, and they wanted people to be a part of that with them. It's kind of funny that it took going about 9,000 miles away for them to be able to see more clearly, but sometimes it's kind of like that, isn't it? That when we're right here, we become very focused, hyper-focused on the things right in front of us or the tasks that we have to get done or the things that are most important that usually, sadly, may not be about people, but about our things. And it took us getting away to be able to see people differently. It took our leaders to be able to see how to give their lives away from watching Africans love on each other that we started to see them come back to their community and they saw different kids in different high schools and the kids in the university that they were a part of and they went after them and they went after them with vigor and it was remarkable. Now, I got to tell you, there are some things that I feel like we have to focus on when, as I said, it's very different. When you step off of a plane in Africa and you walk out of the airport, it is a shock to the system. There's no way to prepare you for the sounds, the smells, the driving, and the things that you see. There is abject poverty just about everywhere we went. Even in the middle of Liberia, where we were at one point, there was next to the presidential palace and everything around it was a slum. There's so much poverty that it's overwhelming and your mind races to how do we take care of this? How do we have an impact? How do we do this? And I was quickly educated on that. Not in a, in a mean way or a way that wasn't loving, but I, I was with a guy named Maurice who was a principal of a school and he had taken off work and left his family to get training to learn how to do camp and learn how to do young life things. I said, Maurice, why are you here? How do you, what about your family? How do you, you're not getting paid while you're here. And he goes, oh, he goes, you know, sometimes people from the West will come and they bring us so much and they give us so much. And he goes, and it's always, we gratefully receive it. He goes, but you know what I really need? I really need to know how to effectively share the gospel. If I know how to tell people about Jesus, then I have hope to give them. If I can tell high school kids about Jesus, I have something that they can have an internal impact on their lives, not just a t-shirt that they'll outgrow soon. Now, don't miss this. We appreciate that. But what we really need to know how to do is give hope to the people around us. The hope for our continent is Jesus. The hope for our young people is Jesus. The hope for all of us is Jesus. We begin to see that on the base level, we're all impoverished, spiritually bankrupt, without a relationship with Jesus. And we were given the opportunity to share what we knew at the same time they shared their lives and what they knew. And it was a rich time. 
it is overwhelming to see the poverty. Think about the fact that 43% of Tanzanians don't have access to water, clean water. 43%, and that's down from 70% in 2000. So a generation ago, 70% of them had no access to water. Um, not only that, they live on about $900 a year, average family, $900, and that may be someone who's got a little bit. So abject poverty is a real thing. We were with a person one time, and as we were walking down the street, and they had fire, they were building the fire, they cook outside and said um, that their kids know that if there is smoke coming out of the chimney, they'll eat that day. But if there's no smoke, they won't eat, and they're okay. It was just eye-opening. But that's not the real focus. That's not the thing that we have to be pay attention to. Because just like us, without Jesus, there is bankruptcy, there is spiritual death, there is things that will never feed them or fill them the way that Jesus can. So I want to share something with you that makes me think, the passage that I wanted to share today, and I'll do it fairly quickly, it's hard to speak about so much in such a short time, but it's from Mark chapter 2. And I want to set the scene, right before this, Jesus has been... out and a leper fell at his feet and Jesus touched him and healed him. Everywhere he's gone, crowds have started to follow. And and just the idea of touching the unlovable, the untouchable, the one that is beyond reach for everyone else, Jesus reached down and fell as he fell at his feet and told him to be well. So in chapter 2, right after this, it says that he returns to Capernaum. And after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. What an amazing scene. Jesus has come back. He's in this home, and the crowds have started to, to fill the place. They filled the room initially. Think if it was a room, this would be much larger, but a room like this. And so a group walks up, and there's probably people on the outside. They're looking through the windows. They're doing everything they can to get a glimpse of Jesus, to hear what he's teaching. They want to be close to him. And where Jesus is, there's a crowd always. That's a reminder for us. If we are about Jesus, people come to be close to Jesus. So this, you see the scene. The crowd is filling this place. And then it says, And he was preaching the word, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. So think about this. There's four guys that get in a crowd. They're obviously not the first in line to get there. And they're probably because they're carrying someone on a mat. Four guys carrying this friend that they loved. And they walk up to this place that's filled they go, we still got to get him in front of Jesus. We got to do what it takes. They weren't deterred by the fact that there's a crowd. And I'd love to know what the conversation was like and what the guy on the mat was thinking as they go, we're going on the roof. We're going up there. We're going to dig a hole and we're going to drop him down. You know, I'm going to say I'd protest a little bit if I was the guy on the mat, possibly. I mean, that's a little scary. They carry him up on this roof and there may have been a staircase, not a super tall place. But they get on the roof, and to give you a picture of what it was like, they have planks that would go across parallel to each other, and they lay reeds on top of that, and then they put dirt on top of that to build the roofs. And so these guys carry their friend up on top of this roof, and they probably try to gauge, hey, are we in the right spot? Yeah, I think this is it. This is the spot. 
and they start digging and they move, remove the dirt and they remove the reeds and then they remove the wood. They do everything that they can to put him in front of the one that can give life, that could restore him, that could heal him. So there's some beautiful things that I want you to see is one, these guys were not deterred by the obstacles. The most important thing was to restore life. They wanted their friend to have that opportunity. And so they did what it took. The other thing is that it impacted everyone in that place. Even the people who didn't carry him on the roof, there was probably a crowd underneath that had to help reach up and hold him as he came down. It wasn't just the hands that were lowering him, the four corners. And all four of them had to be there. If one of them let go, the body falls. It doesn't work. But there was also hands underneath. And I wonder what that was like, that everyone was invited into this. Everyone. And then it says that kind of the amazing thing. What's broken? The body. That's what everyone sees. When you go to Africa, what's broken? Abject poverty. The things that you see, it all feels broken. How do you ever fix it? The obvious is not what is the most important thing here. But Jesus allows and sees what's really broken. And it says this, that, and when they lowered him down, the crowd, to removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He's paralyzed. What does Jesus see? He sees what's really broken. He sees the condition of his heart. He knows why he's there. It is to offer salvation. And who can forgive sins but God alone? He makes an incredible statement when he says your sins are forgiven. The condition of our heart is what needs healing more than the body. It's eternal. It's what gives us life. And that's what's most important. And Jesus sees that. And it's in this lesson that I began to think, I can't just look at what's broken on the outside or I'll never be able to offer any real hope. And so it says that the scribes and people as they did and known in the custom, they started questioning him. And then Jesus does the remarkable, the thing that changes the outside, the change that was obvious. So just so you know who I say I am, go ahead and pick up your mat and walk. And immediately he did. When I think about that, my prayer for us, prayer for all of us, is that we'd be able to see more with the eyes of Christ, that we would see to what's really broken in a world around us that is difficult and hard, in a world that it took me going 9,000 miles across the world to see, to be able to see more closely that the brokenness that they experience is the same brokenness that we experience here. The brokenness and separation from God because of the sin that is held against us until we give it to him that he died on the cross for and was raised from the dead. So real quickly, I know I'm running out of time. I want to share this with you as we went. I've learned how to see a little bit differently, and I want to invite you to be a part of it. In Deo's land, if you look right now where we're sitting, right above that ridge, you can see Mount Kilimanjaro right there. So if you ever have a desire to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, my son Jacob did it. You can do it. Anybody can do it. Love for you to do it. But Deo, my friend, he was one of the first Young Life staff people. He's built a retreat center. He's from the Chaga tribe, and they were the first Christians on the mountain, on Mount Kilimanjaro. Deo is the one in the middle 
by Jonathan, Father Jonathan, um, and he, he's created this little center for people to come and share and experience Jesus. And the thing that G- Deo's focused on is learning to listen, to slow down, to not be in a hurry, to not do a list that needs to be checked off, but to listen to God. And so he'd send Jonathan and I off for four hours, not being able to talk and take a piece of paper or a book or anything, and said, go listen to God. Stop trying to accomplish so much. And Deo said, I'd love for everyone to come to be a part of this. Deo will come this year, and you'll get a chance to meet him. Um, but they were the first Christians on the mountain, and they started something called the Small Christian Communities. And when they did that, the idea was, was we're going to take care of each other. We're going to live like the book of Acts. And they do. Deo started a community bank where they all pool the resources. If someone needs seed, they begin to take care of each other or how they farm or what it looks like. You could take loans from this community bank, and they begin to pay it back. If you look on the top left corner, that is the health center. One side of it is beginning to be finished. It's about 20 years ago they were offered this health center, and yet it's never been finished because commitments fell through. And so Deo has organized their village, and they've started to build, finish it out. Because it's about two hours to even get to a close hospital, and it's not very good care. So shots, inoculations, a baby being born, you get hurt in the field, you don't get to go to a doctor. People die needlessly because there's no way to get help. And so Deo has helped the village begin to build this health center. So to finish the left side, which will be for, the, for a maternity ward and basic care for inoculations for children, is going to be about $5,000. To finish the whole building, will be about twenty. The government in Tanzania said, we will give you health workers if you just finish. And so we get to be a part of that to walk alongside of Deo. Deo teaches lessons in everything you do. In the bottom left-hand corner, that are, those are coffee beans that they grow on the mountain. And Deo, we were standing there, and all of a sudden, he starts to pull the husk off the coffee beans, and they're winding into this thing. Suddenly, he's teaching us a lesson about who we are. Everything's a lesson with Deo, and it's a gift. So there's ways for us to partner from here. What does it look like to be able to finish and help with a health center or take people over to help with basic needs, medical missions, or to go and maybe stop, maybe go and listen, not always to accomplish? Deo said that one of the problems that they've had when they bring missionary groups in is that so many times we're so focused on completing a task that we miss what God may be doing in our heart, the work that he may have for us. And so... He really balances that in an amazing way. I would love to take everybody in this room to sit on that mountaintop and listen and learn and see Jesus and maybe look at people with the eyes of Christ in a way that maybe we're not always able to. I'd love to take you. If you want to go, we can do it. But more than that, I'd love for you to be a part of it, that we all have a role. If it's inside and we're helping lower down the mat, We have an opportunity to have an impact for the kingdom that not only impacts what happens there, but impacts what happens right here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time and what we were able to experience and share in our time. There's so much more to say, um, but Father, I'm so grateful, so, so grateful 
that you allow us to be a part of the work that you're doing, not just here, but around the world. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.